Hello and welcome to Fans, the podcast hosted by me, Sachin Akrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting or both about being football fans. And joining me for this episode to talk all things Manchester United is broadcaster, presenter, eater of lemons and drinker of vinegar, it's Andy Goldstein. Andy, how are you? I'm good, I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm very good. Um, that intro, um, I'm sure you know what it refers to. A lot of people won't. You posted a really interesting video on Twitter. It's come up to a year now, isn't it? I think it was the end of March. Uh, you suffered quite, uh, I don't know if severe is the right word, but quite strong side effects on the back of getting COVID. And it was a clip of you, I think it looks like you sat in your garden, yeah. getting right into a lemon and vinegar to show that you completely well, lost your taste. I mean, was it COVID? Did, did you have it? Cause, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, I was... Yeah. I was I was quite fortunate, as in I was in bed for four days. I had a temperature. Um, I had a banging headache, but you know that was it. Thankfully, I didn't need to go to hospital. But then um, it was in the early. I got it in March last year, so twenty twenty. Mm. So yeah. it was in the early days where people really didn't know what the side effects were, and certainly didn't connect um, the the fact that you might lose your taste buds, you know, after you've had it or even before. And I've read a few people that have had it on social media, so I decided to do a video of me sat in the garden where I uh, had a shot of vinegar. Uh, ate a lemon and uh, ate a, an onion, I think, cut into an onion. Yeah, it was an onion and, as well. Yeah. Yeah, nearly took my fingers off. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, that went absolutely crazy. I think it was the yeah. first time that someone like in the public eye had actually said, look, I've got this. And it, it got like one and a half million views on it on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. It's bonkers. Yeah. Thankfully, it all came back. You know, it was about 10 days. But it was the weirdest thing because like wine was just liquid. And I remember making a cup of tea one day and it's like, what's the point? I might as well just have hot water. Mm. It was mm. it was horrible. It really was horrible. Yeah. I mean, when when everyone was talking about the effects of COVID, it was like I could take um, shortness of breath. I could take feeling really ill. The one thing that freaked me out was losing my taste because I just love my food. And I thought, oh, my God, that I mean, that sounds pathetic saying that. But when I saw your video, it really at the time, and I've seen it again in the build up to talking to you today, freaks me out the, the idea of losing your taste it's um yeah, yeah it must be it really was, scary it was horrible i i had a sound my wife made me a sausage sandwich she said what do you want on it and i went put anything you want on it <laughs> and i had mustard worcester sauce mint sauce literally just stuck everything on it and it was yeah. like eating cardboard i had nothing god how are you now have you suffered since from it no i'm i'm absolutely fine yeah touch wood absolutely it lasted 10 days i mean i thought my taste was going to get really bad and i'd start supporting liverpool but thankfully my taste <laughs> never got that bad <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you what that sets up this podcast brilliantly because uh, i think this is my 14th episode it's the one i've been dreading um i feel like luke skywalker getting on a death star and taking off north vader because yeah i'm i'm a liverpool fan uh, uh and yeah we've got to speak about manchester united which is very tough for me but also i'm really really fascinated to do so they're a team kind of second to liverpool in a way that have had the biggest impact on my life because i grew up watching football in the 90s where obviously your boys absolutely dominated it. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a tough decade to be a Liverpool fan, but also, you know, I can look back now and go fair fucks. That was a really, really good Man United team, the various incarnations. And I'm fascinated to know what it was like supporting them during that time. Um, I mean, we'll get on to that in a second, but you do work for the club as well. Is that right? I know you do MUTV match day live. I'm, I'm intrigued oh. what that, what that involves. I'm incredibly lucky, you know, not just with the talk sport and also the Eurosport because I love snooker, but, you know, my first love is football and obviously my club is United. So to work for Manchester United on match days is quite, it's literally like, you know, I'm in Willy Wonka and I've got the golden ticket. Mm. So on match days, we we do um, like an hour build up to the game. So usually, you know, normal times we're on the pitch and I'm 
usually stand well i i am stood next to someone that i just admired as a kid growing up you know so it could be like gore mcqueen or lou mccari or something like that and i chat to them brian robson i've done a few with which was the most surreal thing ever because he was one of the reasons why i support united and then we build up to the match for an hour and i'm on the sidelines and you've got even i'm a grown man and i've got children i see someone that's half my age behind me warming yeah. up and i'm like Oh my goodness! I can't believe that it's Bruno, Bruno Fernandez. In my in my head, of course, I, you know, I would never show that emotion. Yeah. And then then we talk about the game at halftime, and then we talk about it full time. Um, but yeah, it's I'm extremely I never forget how lucky I am when I go to United because to to be on the pitch when there's seventy five thousand people screaming, and then sometimes again feeling like a little kid when we we finish our transmission about eight or nine minutes before kickoff, and sometimes. As we walk off up the tunnel, the players are coming off mm. at the tunnel uh, through the tunnel. So in my head, I can hear like Brian Moore commentating that you know the players are going, and I'm one of the players. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just I just happen to be dressed in a suit, but you know, <laughs> in my mind, I've got shorts and a United shirt. Yeah. So I guess that's all stopped since March. Are you you're not are you still going up to Ultra to do those? Yeah, things? no, we still do. We still oh, do okay. match day. Yeah, yeah, we don't. We're not allowed on the pitch. Uh, obviously, you know, everyone's you know two metres apart and everyone's concerned about keeping the distance and and um, everyone wears their masks when we're not on air and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I still go to the games. I still work for Amy TV and uh, it's very bizarre sitting in a stadium like that, which is so big mm. when it's just me and three other people there, you yeah. know, from, from Amy TV watching. It's very strange. I can I can totally imagine it. And, and talking about meeting your heroes, your Twitter profile pick is, it looks like a very young Andy Goldstein meeting the late, great, uh, Matt Busby. Um, what's the story behind Sir that? Matt Busby. Sir, Sir Matt, Busby. Matt Busby. Apologies, yeah. of course. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, um, what, what? One of the main reasons I support United, um, and I know you're going to talk about my first game I went to mm. um, in a bit, but one of the the main reasons because um, they they were the first team I saw. I saw them play at White Hart Lane, and um, as a kid growing up, everyone supported either Spurs, West Ham, or Arsenal or Liverpool with the team in the 80s. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to support any of those because everyone does. So the first game I went to was United, who ironically lost against Spurs. But my dad used to work for um, a team of photographers in London who were the official photographers for United when they would come down to London for cup finals. Okay. So in 83 and 85, when United came down for their cup finals against Everton and Brighton, or Brighton and Everton, he took he took me to the banquet afterwards. Wow. So I would have been about nine or ten. And um I've got like I've got albums of me meeting, mm. you know, the likes of Ray Wilkins, God bless him, Brian Robson, Gore McQueen, Kevin Rand, Gary Bailey, you know, the whole United side then. And um one of them, of course, was Sir Matt Busby. And I I didn't I was at eight or nine, I didn't have a clue who he was. And my dad said, You've got to have a picture with this man. Uh, and that's the picture you see. Mm. And then he said, while Sir Matt was signing my programme, he said, this is one of the great men in football. And then Matt, in his big, booming Scottish voice, says, oh, I don't know about that. And my dad was like, no, trust me, you are. And I didn't have a clue who was. I didn't have a, you know. Yeah. But um, thankfully, you know, I grew up supporting United. And then, of course, you go, oh, my goodness, I've met Sir Matt Busby. And, uh, oh, you know, every time I look at that picture, I just, yeah. I just get goosebumps because, you know, he is one of the true greats. Not just, of course, for Man United, but in football, you know, just what he did for that club. So to have a picture with him, I'm just very lucky. Oh, I can totally imagine, yeah. And as you say, what he did for the club, not just the success, but the um, 
dealing with the aftermath of Munich as well. I mean, yeah. I mean the way Kenny Dalglish is for Liverpool, I think the love Liverpool fans have for Dalglish, not just what he achieved, but the way he dealt with Hillsborough as well. I mean, those figures go beyond football in a way, Busby, Dalglish and, and many others. Um, yeah, let's get on to your first game then. So, uh, Tottenham 3, Manchester United 1, November the 21st, 1981 at White Hart. First division fixture at White Hart Lane. Uh, Mickey Hazard and Graham Roberts gave Spurs a 2-0 lead. Um, I was watching highlights yesterday, both from right-sided corners, both poorly marked by United. Uh, Gary, <laughs> really bad. The second one was particularly bad marking. I mean, Roberts just had a free header. Uh, Gary Burtles got one back for United before half-time and then Steve Archibald sealed it for the for Tottenham with a with a long range strike in the second half. Uh, United at the time managed by Ron Atkinson. Team contained the likes of Paddy Roach, Kevin Moran, Remy Moses, Ray Wilkins, you've mentioned, Brian Robson, as you also mentioned, Frank Stapleton and of course Gary Bertels. Um so you were so you were at the game, you were at White I was going to ask you that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was at the game. So I got yeah. in fact hold on, this won't work on radio, but you can <laughs> you can confirm it. So I got hold on. And he's going off to the back of his room to uh, to find something. I'm fascinated I've got, I've got with yeah, there's lots of rubbish in this room. So here we go. Ooh. So this was this was the actual shirt that I got. Wow. That, so that's the 1981. Look how small it is. That's the original my shirt wow. as a kid. 1981 Man United shirt. Yeah. Right. And then when it when they brought it out again, I thought I've got to get that. So I got I got it again. With the sharp on the front, the iconic yeah, sharp sponsorship. I got to yeah. say, as much as it pains me to say it, both of those are lovely shirts. I mean, those real classic shirts. 80, 80 shirts. Yeah, not a lot on them. The Adi- the old Adidas um, symbol, the classic Adidas symbol, three stripes, yeah. little United badge. Yeah, oh, that's gorgeous. So that's that was it's a shirt like, from that game. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I, well, it, I'd like to say yes. I, I know I had it that season, and yeah. I went to it. I went to the game in this shirt. So, which is quite bizarre because um, because. You know, uh, there was no reason why I wanted to support Man United. But when they were, when my dad said, should we go and watch Spurs play? Because they were the local club to me. Mm. Um, what game do you want to go? Because, you know, at the time you could just go to football. I don't know why I chose Man United. I think it's because everyone was pushing me towards West Ham and Spurs and Liverpool and Liverpool, mm. of course. Um, and I was like, no, let's go and watch Man United. So I got the shirt and went to the game. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. I mean, I was going to ask you about this later, but I'll come on to this now because something I'm in, I'm intrigued by is being a being a southern based fan of a big northwest club is yeah the kind of the way it sort of shapes your relationship with that club i mean i feel utterly comfortable in my love for liverpool i i know i love the club i've put the time and effort and money into it um but also there's just that slight element of possibly feeling a little bit like a fraud and and although no one's ever said anything to me at the game but when i go to anfield you do sometimes wonder if people are sort of judging you for being a Southern-based fan as well. And I think when the club becomes successful, you almost feel like you really have to justify yourself. I know as a kid growing up in the 90s, there were suddenly a lot more Manchester United fans at school than there had been a few years before after you guys started doing well. I mean, sort of being a Southern-based fan, either during the 80s when, when you were just getting to the team, they weren't particularly good, or then into the 90s when United were dominating and being great. Did you ever sort of have an identity issue or, or did you just feel utterly comfortable with that? Do you know, do you know what? United I... Fan? I I've never understood why people have got a problem with with fans that aren't from that area yeah. because because when you think about it oh you know I don't have percentages in front of me but I would say you know over eighty percent of of big clubs and I'm not and I'm not just talking about English clubs but I'm talking about foreign clubs as well I would say there's a huge percentage of fans the fan base that isn't from that specific area yeah yeah. You know, so it's it's more common than not that United fans aren't from Manchester. It's more common than not that there's a, there's only a certain amount of people that can actually physically come from Liverpool. 
Mm. You know, and because <laughs> Liverpool's such a massive club worldwide, the majority of Liverpool fans aren't actually from Liverpool. And when you say to people, how many times have you gone and watched Man United? Yeah, I'm lucky I go most home games because I'm working. But even before that, people go, how often did you go? And it's like, well, there's only 75,000 people that can go. And there's billions of fans around the world. So you do yeah. the match. So, I'm, but, you know, my, my feeling is, if you support a club and you want to support them from your armchair or you want to spend thousands supporting them going around the world, if it makes you happy in life, support who you want. You know, I've never, mm. ever had a problem with that. And even when you and I were growing up, you know, there was never, more so me because I'm a little bit older than you, although I look so much younger than you. In fairness, you really do. You've aged when, very when, well, Andy. I'd like oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when, when we were growing up, there, you know, football's on once a week. It yeah. was like match of the day on a Saturday night, so you couldn't, you know, that you couldn't really watch too many teams. Certainly for ninety minutes, that was impossible. Um, but nowadays, because football's on all the time, and you can watch certainly now any single yeah. team for ninety minutes. If you if you've got any kind of affiliation with any club, you know, you might like as a kid, you might like the kit. You might have the same name as a player. Mm. You know, you might have similar hair. Whatever, if if that makes you happy, then support who you want. It, I, I've never understood why people get so personal about it. I really haven't. No, no, I totally agree. I mean, whether you go or not, as long as you love the club, it doesn't matter where you're from. And also the thing about the whole local debate, I remember, I can't remember who it was, but I remember hearing somebody say this, is that if somebody's from like Nottingham and they say they support Nottingham Forest, there's probably a, a like a local club in between them and the city ground. So if you really want to get local about it, you can say, well, why don't you support that little kind of yeah. non-league? Well, do you know what, we... When I did Soccer A years ago, we had Ray Winston on. It's the one and only time I met Ray Winston, and I absolutely love him as an actor. And while we were live, he said, uh, why do you support Man United? You're not from Manchester. And I was like, oh, my God, this is Ray Winston. You know, is he going to put some snooker balls in a sock and smash me over the head in a minute? <laughs> but, 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 and I thought, right, there's two ways I can handle it. This is all going through my mind in that second. Do I go back at him and go, hold on a minute? What's your your local club? Because your local club's Orient, and you support West Ham. But then Indeed, I just exactly, exactly. I, I can't get into it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, indeed, totally agree with you. Um, so, well, going back to your sort of origins sort of being a United fan, I mean, one thing you absolutely could not be accused of being is a is a glory hunter because young listeners may be shocked to hear this. United weren't great in the eighties, um, and I'm interested um, in kind of what it was like during that time. And I'm sorry, I'm going to mention Liverpool one more time and I'll, I'll stop doing it. But what I find... Can, <laughs> as, many ti- as many times as you want, honestly. Well, the reason I'm doing it, the reason I find it interesting being a United sport in the 80s is I think there's real parallels with being a Liverpool fan in the 90s, which I was, in the sense that you're supporting a really big club that should be winning the title, but United don't in the 80s. But they're also, they also do quite well. I mean, between 80, 81 and 1988-1989, those seasons, there's six top four finishes... Uh, finishing second in 87, 88. Plus you win the FA Cup twice, as you mentioned earlier, in 83 and 85. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to what it was like during that period. Are you largely optimistic? Are you sort of feeling like you're nearly there? You're on the brink? This is all quite a lot of fun because obviously you've got some very good players in that team as well, like Brian Robson. Or is there a lot of frustration, a sense that you'll never win that title again? The golden years are over. And also you've got, as I had with United in the 90s, you've got, you had with Liverpool in the 80s, as you also mentioned, that sort of dominant team that you just feel like you'll never get past. Yeah. Uh, well, you've got to remember when I started supporting United, so it would have been sort of, you know, 81 was when I went to that game. I would have only been seven or eight. Mm. So, you, you, you know, you, you don't, you, you're not as passionate about football as a seven-year-old as you are as a 17-year-old. Yeah. And when I got to 17, I was coming out of that decade and and then you could see the United side under Sir Alex starting to build. So 
I di- I didn't really suffer. If if the eighties would have been my nineties, maybe it'd yeah. have been more difficult. Yeah, yeah. But as a kid, I you know I was never coming home from school going, what is, what's Remy Moses doing? <laughs> I just kind of you know I was I, I don't know if I Remy Moses out there, but <laughs> I was never I was never frustrated yeah. as a United fan when I was like 12, 13, 14, I, I just, I just loved football, you know, mm. and it was when I was, I was fascinated with Brian Robson. I got my mum to, um, to cut, to cut and stitch my white school shirt in a sort of semicircle at the front at the bottom. Cause he would have his shirt bagged down. And so I wanted my school shirt to look like Brian Robson. Really? So I made a cut it in a <laughs> semicircle. And then, um, so I was just fascinated with football really. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't as tribal or oh, it's not as tribal when you're as mm. when you're a kid as it is when you're an adult and when you start going to games with your mates and that didn't happen until I was sort of like 18 19 so when that did happen the glory years were just starting to happen so it it was never a problem thankfully it was never a problem mm. i never saw liverpool as a threat um a bit like now <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a tasty episode i can feel it but i'm all for it i'm all, I'm all in it's my fault <laughs> The episode of uh, basing Man United with Andy Garza. I, I know, I know, we should talk about <laughs> Liverpool because because this is a podcast going. Out, you probably only want to talk about teams like in the top four, so yeah. I won't talk about. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not talk about the Premier League Championship. Okay, we? the next few weeks okay. at least. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was going to ask you that as well. Um, I mean, obviously, you're very young at the time. You're based in London. I mean, are you, are you get are you able to get to Old Trafford at all in that in the eighties, or is it just too too much? No, of- no, not at all. The first time I went to, oh my goodness, first time I went to Old Trafford. So I um I used to work as a in a publishing company as an office manager. I literally was David Brent. <laughs> How I got this job, I do not know, but it was laughable. And well, you're chilled uh, out entertainer, aren't you, Andy? So you're oh, always, exactly. You're always yeah. get I was always I was always telling people that's what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah. and they're like what? Just can you just get some photocopy papers to draw <laughs> too? Honestly, it was like that. It was crazy. Uh, but I had um I had really good stationers um who were down the road called. Morgans, I don't even think they're about anymore. And um, he used to, there was some affiliation with him and Sharp Electronics. And oh, yeah, he, he used to use them. And then Sharp would offer their box to their top customers every month. And so a couple of times they took me to go to watch um, Man United play. Bizarre, bizarrely, the first time I went, I was in a box. And you know, you got the, the, either like the ex or current players, they'll do yeah. the rounds if they're yeah, injured. Yeah, yeah. And one of them was David May. I think he was injured, and uh, I've got a picture of me on the pitch at half time doing a penalty competition and holding a check. I think for Betfred actually, and David May was the pro, and I, I, I was just I was you know working as a I was David Brent at the time, and now since then I've become friends with Maisie and I've worked with him. But he's, I've showed him the pictures. And obviously, he doesn't remember it. Um, He's quite a lad, isn't he, David? May? I've heard him. I think I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. He's yeah, kind of peripheral figure in that sort of that team of nineties, and he's obviously quite famously prominent in the shot when you lift when you know I lift a trophy in in the new camp yeah. in ninety nine. Even though I think he was a sub, but um, obviously he's yeah. like yourself a boy United fan, and uh, yeah, quite, it sounds like he's got a lot of tales to tell, a lot of tales to tell from that time, and tells them well. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's great. I mean, listen, he didn't go full JT. I mean, no. he was he was on the bench. He didn't have to change his. But listen, <laughs> he was a member of. A, if you're a member of the treble winning side, I'm guessing you know I'd be fighting you to pick that trophy up and oh, make sure you're you're top of that photo. So um, yeah, every credit to him. Yeah. So that would that would have been that period, and if it's the David May period, sort of mid mid late nineties then. Nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, excellent. Well, we'll get on to the 90s, obviously, huge, huge decade for United. I just want to go back to the 80s and talk about Brian Robson, actually, because the way you're talking about him is the way that a lot of United fans who who um, who supported the club in the 80s talk about him. He was a little bit before my time. I started watching football in the very late 80s into the 90s. And by that time, he was obviously getting on a bit. I remember Italia 90 was my first World Cup and he went home early. He was got injured and obviously David Platt took over and the rest is history. Yeah. So I, I never really saw him, but all the stories are he was an absolutely magnificent footballer. Do you just want to talk about him for for people my age and younger about how good he was and how, how important he was to that United side in the 80s. It, well, he, he was just he was just an absolute warrior. You know, he was... Um, the stories that I hear about, and the main one being that when Fergie came in and there was this drinking culture at Man United and there were players like Paul McGrath and Norman Whiteside and they were the players that Fergie booted out over a period of time. But he kept Brian Robson because he just... He knew how important he was to that side. And he, he, was, he was the engine. He was the powerhouse. He was... You know, they called him Captain Marvel... He led by example. He was hard as nails. He died for the club. And, you know, everything about him, you just, as a fan, you admired. You know, he would never, ever give up. I know it's such a cliche, but he would give 110%. Mm. And, um, you know, there's so many images of him, you know, shouting at the rest of the team saying, come on, we can do it. You know, I can see him now giving it a fist pump going, come on. And he's, I'm so glad that when United finally won the Premier League title for that, that first time after that huge gap, I'm so glad that, he lifted the trophy alongside. It was Steve Bruce. He yeah, lifted the trophy yeah. alongside Brucey because if anyone, if anyone deserved it, it was him. And do you know what? I've, I've picked my. I didn't even think about it. Actually, I've picked my my United team of all of all team that I've seen, not just of all time. And I think I've put Keane in it. And not is it too late to change it? Well, it's interesting you say this. So yeah, we should say when people come on this podcast, I ask them to pick a, a pick an all time eleven um, based on as Andy's done on the play on players they've seen, and Andy's kind enough to pick a team, and we're going to go through it later, and we'll reveal it slightly now. Your centre midfield is is Roy Keane and Paul Scholes, which is absolutely fair enough. And what's interesting is uh, a friend of mine, uh, Rob Smythe, is a is a writer at the Guardian, really top that, and he's a United fan. And in the build up to doing this podcast, um, I was saying to him, I'm speaking to Andy Goldstein for for the pod to speak about being a United fan. Is there anything you think would be interesting to ask him? Uh, and he's literally he sort of gave me a list of things to, to potentially ask you. And top of the list was who does it, who does Andy think was better, Brian Robson or Roy Keane? And I said, well. Gotcha. I presume it's keen because he's picked him in his 11. And I got a bit, Andy, Rob was slightly surprised. So you want to change yeah. it now, do you? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to change it. Do you know what? I just totally forgot. I totally, <laughs> I, and I, I've got such a bad memory. I'll go up the stairs and then I'll go, what have I come up for? But I, 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 I you know, I have to put Brian Robson in it. So can, it's, it's not too late, is it? No, no, not too late. No, no, I'm going to draw it up and do a little graphic and put it out um, to help promote the podcast. But I can easily swap Keane for, for Robson. So that's yes, how strong please. you feel about him. Because if I was a United fan, Roy Keane would be, to use the old cliche, first name of the team sheet. I thought Keane was well, sensational. Well, listen, Ke- Keane, was, Keane was amazing, right? Mm. And but, but, but Robson was Keane before Keane. Mm. And, and Brian Robson's the reason I fell in love with football. Brian Robson's the reason I fell in love with Man United. And... He's my idol. And even now, I worked with him two weeks ago at MUTV, and it's like the fifth or sixth time I've worked with him. And I'm still in awe of him. I'm still literally looking at him going, can I swear on this, by the way? Of course you can. Yeah, go for it. All right. I'm still sitting there going, holy fuckballs, it's Brian Robson. <laughs> and I don't do that with anyone else. Even, yeah. you know, whoever I've met, it's just been, okay, that's whoever. But with Brian Robson, it's like, fucking hell. Yeah. Uh, there was the first game of the season, or the first game I did was Palace at home. I think it's even the first game or first game I did this season, and it was you know it was the first game that I'd been to. I'm sure it was the first home game actually. It was an awful game, and uh, it's the first game you know since everything was shut and COVID and all that sort of stuff for this season. And 
we just went out. It was it was it was, it was me and, and Robbo. Even calling him Robbo, I find really weird. <laughs> Mr. And Robson just, to you, Andy. Yeah, I, I actually said to him, can I call you Robbo? And he looked at me like I was mental. Um, and then we sat in the stand. It was just him there and then me two metres apart. And it was just me and Brian Robson watching Man United. And I was I, I just couldn't get my head around the fact that I'm watching Man United in an empty hero. stadium with my absolute childhood. Yeah. It, it, I, I just said to him, I remember saying, I remember saying, I'm just going to, like, like, I had to fucking say it. I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm just going to video the empty stadium, send it to my mate. And he, he was like, all right. And I only did it just so I can get Brian Robson in my video. Does he, um, he's one of those figures, I guess, that gets a lot of that. Does he ever kind of, I don't know if you've been in the presence of other people going, oh, Rob, I love you. You're my childhood hero. I wonder if he just gets a bit bored of it all because he Rob, must get it all I, the time. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do. It's the only person, think about it now, if, like I've met without, without names dropping, I've met, I've interviewed people like Bruce Willis and Wesley Snipes and, and um, Angelina Jolie. I've interviewed big names, right? And I've never once gone, fucking hell, it's Bruce Willis. Yeah, or got yeah. flustered, right? But when I was when I was ending the show, like when we end the show, you've got a hard count, so you've got someone in your ear counting from thirty down to zero, and you've got to finish on zero. And they and they got to twenty, and I'm thinking, oh fuck, I've already said goodbye. <laughs> so I just said something like, "I still got time for for myself, Brian Robson, my absolute hero. I still can't believe I'm here." <laughs> And I'm just, rather than just talk about the games coming up, I, I just hear myself literally going, oh my God, it's Robbo. Fantastic. So, uh, I'm sure he doesn't get bored of it. I'm sure it must be nice. But when he when he walks around Old Trafford, you can see it's like God walking about. Yeah. It's like the Cantonese, like Samat. It's that kind of, that kind yeah. of person. And he is, he's godlike to United fans, isn't he? Yeah, well, that's what I hear all the time. I say a bit before my time. If you speak to any United fan who saw him play, they, they their eyes just, they get gooey-eyed. And yeah, as, yeah. Rob, as Rob, as my mate Rob, as Rob Smythe was saying, he was surprised you hadn't put Robson in. And you have now, so. I have now. Put that all in, makes yeah. sense. Brilliant. Yeah. Right, well, let's get on to the date. Um, that changed everything um, as far as English football is concerned. 6th of November, 1986. Manchester United appoint Alex Ferguson as their manager. He arrived having guided Aberdeen during a seven-year period to three league titles, four Scottish Cups, one Scottish League Cup, one Cup Winners' Cup and one UEFA Cup. Um, yes, I mean, it's like a JFK moment, isn't it, for all for all United fans? So obvious question to you, Andy. Where were you and what were you doing when Manchester United appointed their greatest manager of all time? Oh, my God. I mean, I, I would have been at school. I mean, you were I 13, I think. I worked yeah. it out. You were 13, yeah, when it happened. Yeah, I mean, you don't it's, you don't need to tell people my age. You just go to school. It's uh, on Wikipedia, has... Andy. <laughs> it's quite easy to find. I need to change that. I really do. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was at school. And of course, you know, again, it's fucking hell. It's going to make me sound so old. We didn't have mobile phones. I don't think we didn't even have, we didn't even have a fucking internet. Yeah, so, I can empathise with that. We didn't have it when I was at school in the 90s either. Yeah, oh, it's so, fine. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad it made life easier at school. Can you imagine going just, to school with a mobile phone? God, the I know. horrendous. I know. Frightening. Do you know what? I remember the first time someone I was at work and I was an office junior publishing company, and someone said, "Here, come and have a look at this. This is the World Wide Web." And I went, "What's that?" <laughs> and they went, "It's the internet. Watch." And they typed something, and it took about a minute for the page to load. <laughs> yeah. And I, I actually said, "Mark my words, this won't take off." I've got. A similar, can I tell my similar story? So I left school in 1999, and just before I left. Uh, we we got our first ever computer lab at my school in North London and the teacher was taking kids around in sort of groups of six to sort of show them the computer lab 
And it were, I think it was one machine in the lab, maybe two, that had the internet. So he took us to this computer that had the internet. And he was like, like, like you said there, he's like, this is the World Wide Web and being very sort of excited about it. And he brought up, I'll always remember it, it was a page for the US government. So it had the kind of the crest at the top, the eagle crest. I remember that. Yeah, yeah it was like, this, so this is the home page. I remember using those words for the, for the American government. And I just turned to the kid next to me, sort of nudged him on the shoulder and went, this will never take off. <laughs> I was just so confident. And I was like, this is a fad. And look at us now. Do I look stupid? <laughs> <laughs> look at that talking on Zoom with microphones and internet pages yeah. up and Wi-Fi. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't I don't I don't really I don't it wasn't a big thing until maybe I got home when it was on the news. You know, you had to yeah. wait till either six PM when the, the news was on or, or you go on CFAX or Oracle, Jesus Christ. I like <laughs> um and then if you miss the page you'd have to wait another yeah, five minutes yeah. before the page yeah, rolled around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, it, was, it was a JFK moment, it was, and it was a ballsy move because Ron Atkinson wasn't doing a bad job, you know. There were, you, you've just gone over it, two FA Cups and top finishes as well, but, you know, to, to identify that this is the man, I mean, even in their wildest dreams, they couldn't have thought he was going to do what he did, but, you know, to identify that, you know, second place and what, what um, Ron Atkinson was doing, FA Cups, wasn't good enough for a club like Man United to identify Fergie was was just a game changer. I mean, it's, it's a decision that's made that club billions upon billions of pounds, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what's really interesting with United is their record with managers. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would suggest it's it's sort of, it's, it's, it's kind of schizophrenic in a way. You've had two absolute legends, Busby and Ferguson, and then in between them and post them, some kind of iffy characters. I mean, between Busby and Ferguson, there was uh, Wilf McGuinness, Frank O'Farrell, Dave Sexton, Ron Atkinson, who, you know, as you said, did do well, but perhaps didn't reach levels of United demand. Tommy Doherty yeah. did do well, but it was also manager when you when you got relegated in 74. I mean, was there, I mean, you're young, you're only 13, but given Ferguson's record, was there kind of a sense then that this was, given what he'd done in Scotland, that, that he could make a big difference? Or, or having had those managers in between, I mean, you wouldn't have obviously been around for a lot of them, that maybe like, you're starting to give up hope and thinking, oh, this is just going to be another guy. It's just not going to be quite good enough. Do, do you know what? I, I, I'll be honest with you. At the time, I don't really remember mm. if I'm being because I was, you know, 12 or 13. And um, I, I think football, I just think when you're, when you're a young kid, even more so then than it is now, football wasn't in your face as much as it is now. Mm, true. You know, it was, you'd either read it, and as a 13 year old, I'm not going to, excuse me, can I borrow the Times, please? I'm not going to read <laughs> newspapers um there yeah. was hardly any sport on telly apart from matter down a saturday night which was quite late at the time so it wasn't as in your face so it wasn't I, my, my you're asking me now i've never really talked about it but i would imagine it wasn't massive news it was just okay united have got a new manager but i hadn't i hadn't grown up appreciating or understanding how great united were in the 60s under samat i hadn't grown up with that that hangover of waiting for United to be that big, massive club again. Um, so I was, I was just, I was just on that ride and enjoying the build-up. And, and I, I suppose it's only when I look back now and I realise just how stale it got to United. You mentioned when we went down in '74, how bad things got for you. It's only now I look back and realise, you know, what a massive decision it was at the time. But as a kid growing up. I don't remember coming home and going, have you seen Fergie's got the job? You know, yeah, I don't yeah. remember that. I, I was aware of it, obviously, but I just assumed it would just be another manager that would bring in cups. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, that's how I viewed United as a, you know, it tells you, it tells you how much I've 
quite low, how sort of low I looked as looked at United status. That when you won the Cup, Winners' Cup in '91, I was actually happy for you in the way that you sort of are happy for like you a one. I was because I just didn't see United as a threat in the '90s, and I think that's a, something that a lot of people of a certain age, a younger age than us, don't appreciate is that the club United now, the sort of the juggernaut they are now. It just wasn't there in the eighties, and that's what I think makes the decision to get rid of Atkinson, Ron Atkinson, really yeah. bold and brave by the board. But as, because, a, as a Liverpool just, fan, yeah. you actually were happy United won. I, ones... I just didn't see you guys as a threat at all in the late eighties. Yeah, but even 90s. but even even if Liverpool were in League Two, you I'd still want you to get relegated. Fair. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, going back to what we said earlier, because I grew up in the south, because I grew up in London, yeah, didn't have that sort of intensity of rivalry that maybe you would have if you were. Oh, okay. Also, I, I, the team that for me was kind of the team I saw as the biggest rival, uh, or the team I sort of disliked the most in a way when I was a kid was Arsenal because we were competing with them for league titles in the sort of that little yeah. three or four year period in the end of the eighties, start of the nineties. But also, a lot of my family members are Arsenal fans, um, cousins and uncles. So. There's that sort of inbuilt rivalry. But I genuinely didn't see United as a threat or a big rival. But And that's what I mean. That's what I think the board was so brave to get rid of Ron Atkinson. Because, you know, they, yeah. you were doing all right in the 80s and you could have just plodded along and been an abs- like a cup team. You could have been Spurs, basically, for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, no, you said and- cup team. <laughs> yeah, you could have been slightly better than Spurs for the rest of your life. Uh, but you took the chance and it massively paid off. Yeah, but you know what's quite bizarre is is that I've not really thought about it actually. You mentioned it, and it's a good point. Is that as a kid growing up, I wasn't there for for how great we were in the sixties and then how bad we were at the early part of the seventies. But I'm living in theory. I've been living through that for the last eight years since Fergie left. You know that level of expectation that I've lived through is what people lived through in the sixties. Yeah, and That's, then it yeah. it dipped massively, which is what happened when I was born. So I wasn't. And now I'm hoping for that you know, that upward spike to come back. So, so I'm living through that now, but I, mm. thankfully as a kid growing up, I, I wasn't there to see how bad it was, yeah. but now, now I can appreciate the dark times and hopefully we're on the way up again. Yeah. Well, hopefully you get relegated again. That would be, that'd be magnificent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's go back don't to mean that. You don't mean that. I, I, I absolutely do. It'd be amazing. I okay. love Manchester United to get relegated. It'd be brilliant. Um, it won't happen though, sadly. Sadly. Um, so um, just going back there to start Fergie's reign, there's obviously the famous uh, three years of excuses and it's still crap to our Fergie banner, which was held up by United fan Peter Molyneux um, during United's 2-1 loss to Crystal Palace at Old Trafford in December 1989. So it did start slowly, but obviously it soon got going. Um, and you almost won the league in 92, of course. You did win it eventually in 93, but you almost won it in 92. Um, didn't happen because... I'm oh, sorry, I have to mention Liverpool again here, but there's no other way of doing it. You lost at Anfield <laughs> at the end of the 91-92 season um, to stop you winning that title. Uh, Leeds, Leeds United end up winning it. And I know Andy Mitten, you might know, who's the editor of United We Stand, the famous yeah. United fans, and he's spoken about leaving Anfield that day, walking across Stanley Park and thinking United were cursed and they would just never win the title again because you'd gone so close that season but still not quite managed it. Um, you're sort of well into your... Well, late teens, I think, at this stage, 1992. Yeah. Do you remember kind of yeah. your emotions that time? You were also kind of thinking this is just never going to happen, despite it uh, having got better under Ferguson. No, I didn't think. I remember it. I remember it quite well, actually. But I, um, I didn't. I never once thought it wasn't going to happen. I never want because I could see progress. Oh, really? So you, that's interesting. Yeah. So you're thinking this is coming even after that setback in 92. Yeah, because because the, the gap between how close we came that season mm. yeah. and how how far away we were, maybe ten years leading up to that, I could see. 
I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was me being you know a glass glass half full rather than glass empty. But I could see progress. I could see. I, I, listen, I'm not going to say I knew there was one piece of the jigsaw that we needed to get, and I identified Cantona before Fergie <laughs> did. But um, things that worried me were like Brian Robson. I knew he was getting old. And I knew how important he was. So that was a big worry. How are we going to replace someone like that? But um, I, I had every belief. I, 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 at no time did I think United would go on to do what they did. I'll be brutally honest with you. But um, yeah, I, I, I thought United would have that chance again and hopefully take it. I'd mm. be lying if I said I knew we'd win the league. But I knew that team was good enough to get back to that opportunity again. But I don't, I don't think I ever went, don't worry, everyone, because we're <laughs> going to go on to win 13 league titles under Fergie yeah. and the treble. But um, I, I knew it was good enough to have another chance, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, well, it came the following season, 92-93, then um, the 1992-1993 Premier League season, the first Premier League season, of course. Manchester United won their first title since 1967, finished 10 points ahead of Aston Villa, who you shouldn't forget, actually pushed you pretty close that season, but ultimately pulled yeah. away from them. And a key moment was the weekend, uh, or the day, I should say, of 10th of April, 1993. United came from behind to beat Sheffield Wednesday, Old Trafford. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to two very late goals from Steve Bruce. On that same day, Villager at home to Coventry, and that really sort of swung it United's favour. Um, I'm going to have to mention your age again here, Andy. Sorry, you were 19 at the time, if I'm absolutely correct, which is a great, great age a great time in anyone's life. Yeah. But for you, especially then, that year, seeing United win the title for the first time, as I said, since 67, must have just been absolutely incredible. It was. Uh, do you know what? Look, I've got, look, I've got goosebumps now you said that. So yeah, um, I can see him. I can see the bumps. that? That's strange. It was incredible. That that game you mentioned against Sheffield Wednesday was just, I can see, I can see Fergie jumping on the pitch now. Yeah. Brian Kidd was alongside him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian um, Kidd falling to his knees on the pit, on the turf as yeah. Fergie dances around. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a there's a moment in that when I think it's the second header goes in. There's a Sheffield Wednesday defender. I can't remember on the post. Nigel the post. Worthington. I'll never Worthington. forget it. Looks at the, yeah, looks at the ball. Well, that's amazing. Isn't He's it? on the post and he just w- watches it go past him. I'll never forgive him, the bastard. Yeah, yeah. Could have stopped, stopped it. He's obviously a lifelong United fan, but yeah, that moment. <laughs> That, that moment was, you know, it's like, it was just unbelievable. It was incredible because, you know, it's, it, I'm guessing it's how you would have felt last year when Liverpool became champions. Yeah, sort of. I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, just all, yeah, we won't get into this, but yeah, it all felt slightly flat in the end for me, not being able to be at the ground. And because I'm a yeah. season ticket older, I would have been there when we lifted the trophy. So yeah, we okay. won't get into that. But yeah, it was yeah, a great moment in the league. But, but it was. But listen, you, you would have appreciated it as I did. I wasn't at the ground. Yeah, and true. I watched it on yeah. the box, you know. And um, it, it, it means so much when you win the league again. It means, obviously, of course, you're the best team in the country. It's the end of that long wait. It's bragging rights. It's a whole season of champions. Um, it's yeah. the opportunity to attract bigger and better names. It's, you know, the chance to compete in Europe against the best. Because back then, I think I'm right in saying it was only whoever won the league yeah. went into U- yeah, the, the, the European Cup or Champions League, whatever it was called back then. So, it, you know, with a, with a league title came so much and it like opened up a like a whole new universe. It was like opening up the doors and just seeing this light mm. shining at you. And... Um, you know, it did take United to, to new places. It allowed Fergie to, to build. I'm sure the board would have backed him even more, knowing that that to build on that success. And that's exactly what happened. And um, Cantona coming in, you know, was just... I've read I've read um, Fergie's book and I've read uh, Edwards, uh, Martin Edwards' book. And there's conflicting reports as to who decided that Cantona should come to the club. So in Fergie's book, Fergie says that 
Edwards was on the phone to Leeds. They were mm. talking about, I think, Dennis Irwin. Dennis Irwin. That's the famous story, isn't it? They, yeah, you should say. So yeah. United wanted to sign... Uh, sorry, Leeds wanted to sign Dennis Irwin. United said, no chance. By the way, is Eric Cantona yeah, so, sale? And Leeds went, so, or Howard Wilson, whoever sent... Yeah, that's yeah, the story, so, the story so in Fergie's book, Edwards is on the phone and Fergie slips him a piece of paper and says... And he picks up and goes, ask about Cantona. Oh. And Edwards goes, oh, by the way. But in, in Martin Edwards' book, it's the other way around. Martin Edwards says that he asked the question and Fergie oh. was like, what are you talking about? But anyway, whoever, whoever, it was my, I'm going to put it, the story to it, it was my decision, right? It was I yours, was it was Andy group. Goldstein's decision. It was 19-year-old Andy Goldstein. Yeah, yeah. I was there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll come on to Cantor in a second, because I do want to ask you about okay. it. I'm fascinated by his contribution to United. I just want to go, okay. yeah, back to that first title. I mean, is that a moment you're, you're you know, you support United through a large extent because of your dad. And I'm just curious whether that's kind of a moment or how you shared that moment with your dad. I don't know if you were living at home at the time, but that must be a special moment for you and him having started going to United at the start of the eighties. And now in 10 um, years, a bit later, you finally seen win the league. I'm sort of curious how that, uh, how that bonded Do you know what? That, that, that moment, well, my dad's a big Wolves fan. So, um, oh, okay. So, so that moment wasn't necessarily a great moment, but the, the going back to what we were talking about before, the greatest moment that I've had with my dad supporting United. So when I said to you, I went to the 83 and 85 banquet uh, for the cup final after the 83 one, I went and it was a draw with Brighton and I went to the banquet and there was no FA cup. I didn't go to the replay because it was on a Thursday. It was on a school night. So I wasn't allowed to go. But um, so when we played Everton in 85, when Norman Whiteside, so United had Kevin Rand sent off and it looked like, and I was going to the banquet and it looked like we weren't, I wasn't going to see the FA cup again. And, um, my dad was devastated for me because he had pictures of him as a kid with the FA Cup. And it's one of those things that I want my son to hold. Them. Mm-hmm. And it was the and it was the original cup. Now it's a different one. Now it's, a, you know, mm-hmm. they've made a couple of copies, but it yeah. was the, the proper cup. And when Norman Whiteside, I can remember exactly where I was. We're watching it in my mum my and dad's house in this bit, this TV room. And the back doors open. It's a beautiful, a beautiful summer's day. And when Whiteside scored that goal I ran into the garden I'd scored it like arms like that <laughs> yeah. mainly because we'd scored the goal yeah. but also because I knew I was going to meet the FA Cup and then my dad came out and I jumped on my dad with my legs wrapped around him like I'd scored that goal oh wow and and years later it's quite emotional and, and years later I don't think you can see it let me get it off the wall for you years later when I became sort of friendly with Norman Whiteside I managed to buy the cup final shirt. Oh, there you wow. go. There and it is. him to sign it. Yeah. So she's Andy's holding up. Yeah. The, the Another iconic, you know, it's like the United iconic shirts from that period. Yeah. It's the badge in the middle yeah. with sharp again. Yes. Yeah, signed. Oh, beautiful. That's lovely. Yeah. Signed. Yeah. So that, so let me put that down there. So that is, um, that's probably the most emotional moment I've actually oh. ever had in football with my dad because, um, well, you get to a certain age and you go with your mates to matches. Yeah. And, uh, but that was, that was, um, that was quite something. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that, that also touches on for me is the importance of the FA Cup at one stage. You know, I just can't imagine a kid now getting that excited watching his team score a winner in the FA Cup final. And I know like you just wouldn't be, I don't think a child of your age then now would even be excited about seeing the FA Cup. I, I just think no. that's quite an interesting kind of, it just shows you how the, that competition has been devalued. Over yeah. And we, t- we you know, we've t- when, we, when we get round to sort of cup, final, cup days, you know, court finals, I mean, we talk about this on my show, my TalkSport show. It is without doubt an age thing. I still get as excited about the cup final now as I did as a kid. Um, but I think it's because the whole day was different. You know, yeah. you'd, start, you'd come down, you'd be in your pyjamas, you'd sit on the couch and you'd not move till five o'clock. You know, the, the cameras would be on the... I don't know why like, a company don't do it. I don't know why 
BT don't do it if they've got the cup or whoever, BBC. But, you know, they'd go on the coach with the players. There'd be FA Cup songs by the yeah. teams. Yeah. They'd just be, it'd just be everything. You know, even, even the players going, I mean, I don't know if they still do it because when a cup final's on, I just go to the pub to watch it. So I don't have that build up. But I remember the players coming out and they've all got sunglasses on. They're walking about the pitch and you've, you know, you've got St. Greaves on the balcony of, of Wembley. It, it, it was a whole day. It was a whole day. And it, and as a kid growing up, I enjoyed it as much if my team win it as any team. Mm. I'd watch every single yeah. cup final. Ditto. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's various, yeah, various reasons for it. I think obviously the, the oversaturation of football, there's just so much football on the TV where uh, on television, I was obviously back in the day, the cup final was one of the few games that were shown live. Personally, I think yeah. the kickoff time shift has been bad. I don't like kicking off 5.30. I just think it needs kickoff at three. Uh, oh, various reasons. But everything, yeah. even when they do the draw, you know, putting yeah. the balls in that plastic thing and, you know, get put the balls in that FA bag and get two old fogies to pick it out and don't make it all razzmatazz. Do it yeah. old school. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think they're in a the halfway house with it because on one hand, the people around it want to sort of tap into the nostalgia and show you clips of Ronnie Radford scoring against for Hereford against Newcastle. But then on the other, it's yeah. sponsored by Budweiser and it's all, as you say, razzmatazz. It's, it's why neither one or the other, I think. It's neither... T- you know, fully nostalgic as a tournament or properly up to date. It just feels sort of... Yeah. Anyway, that's well, they, did, they did with the, with the <laughs> League Cup. See, the League Cup, when I was growing up, the League Cup was just as big as the FA Cup. Yeah. And they did, a couple of years ago, they did the draw for the Carabao Cup at like four o'clock in the morning in a, in a car park. And yeah, it was yeah. like, what's happening here? Like, football's gone down. You, know, you want me to love this competition? Yeah. They did it in the supermarket, didn't I think John Barnes did it in the Morrison's or something. Okay. Yeah, it was absolutely yeah, mental. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's go back into United. Yeah, and I do want to ask you about Cantona. Um, just, yeah, this kind of iconic, slightly mystical figure for United. So, arrived from arrived from Leeds in, um, sort of, was it November, I think, 92? So, he came, didn't come at yeah. the start of that season, but he was there for the bulk of that first title-winning season. Uh, huge figure. I mean, the, the, the kind of narrative around him is Cantona changed everything. It was this hugely transformative figure, not just with his performances on the pitch, but kind of the standards he set in training. How much do you buy into that, maybe through the stories you heard from what you do and being around United fans? But the other thing I'm also curious about is how good was he as a player I think whenever there's discussions around Cantona it's all around his charisma his collar and the kung fu kick very little about actually how good he was I think I mean but he must have been very good he was one of Manchester United's best players at one of their peak eras yeah he, he I mean he was obviously he was a fantastic player you just have to look at his his goals to understand that but I, we were talking about Brian Robson before about how influential he was how much of a leader he was and I think Brian Robson maybe maybe took over that mantle because you know you'd watch him he'd puff his chest out Nothing would phase him. He was hard as nails. He was skillful. He was great. We, and also, it was at the time where you had all the young kids coming through. You had you know, Lee Sharp playing. So you had the gigs and the Beckhams coming through as well. Skulls would have been a whippersnapper as well. So he was so important um, by by being that leader in the team. And he, and he was he was the missing link. I don't think United would have gone on to win as many league titles or even that league title without him in, in it. You know, he won the league title at Leeds. You took mm-hmm. him out of the Leeds team and then they... You know, they just fell away. And then you put him in the United side and United won the title. And he had an awe about him, actually. I met him I met him maybe two or three times in the first time. Ironically, when I was talking about me being David Brent and I had that tour of Old Trafford before sitting yeah. down and watching the game with David May, we were in a dressing room in the afternoon. It was like a tour of it before the game that evening. And he walked in, like literally by mistake. He just opened the door and stuck his head in. And it was like a, it was like a God walking in because he's a big man anyway. And the whole room went quiet and everyone just was staring at him. And then in his French, you know, broken English accent, he oh, sort of apologies or whatever. Sorry for that. <laughs> Horrific. Um, and then he walked out and, and it, it, you know, if that was what it felt like 
for me, I can't even imagine what he would have been like in a dressing room, what he would have been like as a leader on a pitch. I, I would have loved to have played for him. Like, when you've got Roy Keane, I think players were scared to have let Roy Keane down. I think Eric Cantona, people were desperate to impress him. I think that's probably the difference. You shocked everybody with the signing. Um, how shocked were you, you yourself when Leeds said yes? Well, I wouldn't say we're shocked, we're surprised, and it's strange how things develop. It was just a chance call was made. During the conversation, we got out here talking there. We threw in Canton and he says, well, we need to think about that one and things like that. How long has it been in your mind, though? Not just during that phone conversation, presumably. Well, yeah, yeah. Just more or less that. Can I just get this right? So when you phoned up, that was the furthest, furthest thing from your mind, actually asking about Eric Cantona. During the conversation, it came up and you've, you've bought him as a result. Yeah. Have you been able to gauge the reaction of the fans so far? Yeah, it's been very positive. It's been very, very good. I think that uh, our supporters recognise that this is a, a Manchester United player that's coming. I think some might not exactly like it, seeing as you know it was quite bitter rivalry with Leeds last year. But I, I think they'll accept him. I think it's a tremendous signing. I think he's a very skillful player, and he'll score lots of goals for us. The Cantona, you know, who are Cantona? They won't sing it here. Do you think people will be out with the berries and onions, that kind of thing? Oh no, no. Might throw a few uh, meat pies at him. He's got a fiery reputation, a fiery Frenchman, and with due respect, a fiery Scot. How's that relationship going to develop? Well, the French and Scots have a great old alliance, if you, if you know your history. I'm hoping this is part of a, a new alliance. He has got a bad boy image, though, hasn't he? How are you going to deal with that? Well, I've heard this. Just out of his experience. I think of it, hopefully, with the experience to handle it's maybe a new challenge for me too. continue, Sure, I've, I've had a lot of clubs, but when you arrive at a new club, um, you always hope that that will be for a reasonable length of time. And that's obviously arriving here at Manchester. I hope that this is for a long time. I'm here, first of all, to win my place in the team. I've got a duty to score goals, but I'm also here um, to bring something to the team. And we will all have the aim of winning honours for Manchester United. And Eric Cantona, do you feel he's pleased? He is absolutely delighted. Absolutely no hesitation. I must say that. It, he was um, so thrilled at being able to join us. And I'm, I'm sure he's looking forward to it. I can absolutely back you up on something I think is underplayed about Cantona is how massive he is. I um, I met him in 2008. Um, it's a very random story. I won't go into it now. But I did meet Eric Cantona in 2008. And he's enormous. I just don't think people appreciate how big he is. I mean, he must have been such an intimidating centre-forward for those yeah. kind of old-school centre-backs off the early 90s to have come across. I mean, he was massive, yeah. wasn't he? He was, yeah, and he'd die for that club as well, you know, yeah. very much like Brian Robson would have done. Um, and I, I think I think it was a really important time for, as I said, the young kids. I've, that's underplayed a lot, actually. Not a lot is spoken mm-hmm. about how influential he was to the careers of Beckham and Giggs and and, and sadly not Sharpie, but I'm, I'm a massive... I was going to put Sharpie in the all-time 11, 
Absolutely lovely shot. Over the man who obviously is going to get in at left wing. I mean, I don't think you'll be able yeah. to say who it is. It's so obvious. I just, <laughs> I just love, yeah, listen, he was never going to get in my all time. But I, love, I actually, but you know, in, late, in later life, I became good mates with Sharp and he came to my wedding. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, and uh, I just thought he was, he was Giggsy before Giggs. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was, was really good, wasn't he? Beckham. Yeah, yeah, he was he, excellent, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was. He was. You know, he was getting in trouble with Fergie for doing his dances. He was shaving his head. You know, <laughs> he was incredibly talented. He was a young kid. He was had a great personality. Yeah. And I was a massive fan. I absolutely loved Sharpie. And he was he was playing in that United side when we had the all black kit, which made him look even cooler. So, um, yeah. oh, it, he 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 crossed my mind. Shut up! Shut, no, he's got to be geeky. But yeah. I was trying to put him. I was trying to put him somewhere. Maybe playing three at the back and playing as a wing back. I don't know. He was really good, and he was almost as good looking as you, Andy. He was, he was really handsome. It's bloke. been said. It's yeah, been said. I'm glad you're saying that because obviously people can't see me, but I do look amazing. He looks absolutely stunning. He's got this really nice hat on, and his his abs are ripping through his t-shirt as well. I mean, oh man, don't know, keep, don't know how you keep those abs under control, Andy. It's absolutely checks in the post. Yeah, green screen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, right, let's uh, let's continue talking about Man United. So, yeah, you win that first title in 92-93, and then the success after that under Ferguson is just absolutely absurd. Um, 12 further Premier League titles, four FA Cups, three League Cups, two European Cups, and, of course, the treble in 1998-99. Um, we'll come on to the treble in a bit more detail later. But, I mean, what is that? I mean, I'll, I'll probably never experience it. What is that period like as a United fan? I mean, do you almost kind of get bored with all the winning? I mean, there's that period, no, I remember, no. where you won two back-to-back league titles uh, in 2000 2001. You just walked it both seasons. I mean, there was just, it was just, you ba- it felt like you won every week. You didn't, obviously, but yeah. I mean, you're just smashing everyone. It's, you know, all the, lower, yeah. all the sort of middling teams you were battering. I mean, do you get slightly bored? There's a sense of entitlement creep into the fan base at that stage. Yeah, I didn't get bored. I'd never get I'd never get bored as winning, but um, you just take it for granted. Yeah, I remember yeah. when we played Spurs at White Lane and we were three 0 down at half time and we went on to win five three. I, I remember, I mean, as a fan, I remember being how feeling how confident I was. We'd still not five three, but I just thought we'd still win this, and we yeah. obviously won it five three. But if I've got that belief as a fan, I mean, what was that like for the players in that team at the moment? It was. It that was the lads. It's Tottenham game, wasn't it? The the famous Roy Roy King comment at halftime. Is that the one where yeah. the lads? It's Tot- or lads. It's Spurs, and then they went out again and scored five in the second half. Five, yeah. yeah. It, it, the belief that you know that was of course the era of Fergie time. Mm. So the belief that that United team had, and it was echoed with with us as fans. It was never are we going to win? It was by how many? Um, but I never got. Oh God, I never get bored. I can never understand that. Like when you speak to Rangers or Celtic fans, mainly Celtic, obviously, but it's changed the season. But you know, getting bored with winning, I could never ever get bored with success. Never ever. I don't think anyone does. Do they? That can't be true. Yeah, well, when is that sustained? I mean, I, I just think of those two league titles in, in 2000, 2001. I mean, the others, you'd had to fight the likes of Arsenal, obviously, Blackburn, Newcastle, famously in 1996. But those two, they just stick in my mind as ones. I, can't, I just don't think you had any competition. You, you seemed, I think you won them both in sort of around April. You were just imperious. And I'm, yeah, bored. I mean, it must be great seeing your team in the league. But I just wonder if it's slightly no. flatter than winning the league would feel like for a lot of other clubs, a lot of other fan bases. No, I think Man City this season... Will, will feel as as excited, as happy, as yeah. animated as they would at any other season. And the fact that they're going to win it at a canter, I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever. Yeah. You just want to win it. You just want to get over the line. Yeah. I mean, in that period, one one comment that I feel, I mean, it really stuck and it feels like it has left a bit of a legacy was the prawn sandwiches comment by, by Roy Keane. Yeah. He made after a Champions League win over Dynamo Kiev in November 2000. It is one that 
seems to have haunted United fans forever. I mean, was there, I think he was sort of hinting, or not hinting, you're saying very strongly, a sense of entitlement had sort of fitted into United fan base. He was sort of sitting there waiting to be entertained at Old Trafford. I mean, what's your sort of take on it? Is that quite unfair? Are you quite resentful of the fact he said it? Because as I said, it does feel like it's kind of stuck around a bit. And it yeah, has stuck around. Listen, he yeah. said it, he obviously felt, felt something to say it. And I think as a, as a, Listen, maybe his way of, of geeing everyone up, maybe there was content in the squad. Maybe they were, you know, perhaps getting used to winning and, mm. and you've got to have that hunger for it. I think it was I think it was Keno that said, you know, that as soon as you've won it, the next day it's like, right, we've got to win it again. You can't just, you know, yeah. get your medals out and count them. And I think that's why he was such a winner. Mm. You know, there's not that many people that would, would say what he said and, and come out and say it. So um, I don't resent him. I can't resent anything more, Keith. You know, he's such a legend at the club. It's just part of football, is it? It's part of United, I suppose. I don't think I don't think it was harmful to the club. I don't think it was harmful to him. I thought it was quite funny when he said it. Actually, <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. I yeah. get why he said it. You know, I get why he said it. it but, but football was changing at that time as well. You yeah. know, it, it it was becoming an entertainment. It was becoming a business, and um, maybe he's old school, which I quite like. The fact that it should be just about the results on the field, and that's how you make your money. But mm. you know, the club's a global brand. It's a global business, and um, serving prawn sandwiches to to a group of people in a private box you probably don't even know the second half started that's just the way football is it's not just that United all clubs have got that now no. so how they make their billions of pounds yeah it's a sign of success isn't it I guess if you're serving yeah, prawn yeah. sandwiches in, in boxes at half time it shows you're doing something right um, right let's get on to the treble season 1998-1999 is that just a season of pure and utter perfection as a Manchester United fan every single yeah. second of it yeah <laughs> it, is, it is um it is I, I worry quite often when um man city do what they're doing you know this season mm. they're on for the quadruple and that would absolutely devastate me if, even if man city equaled it and got the treble it would kill me because you just think that's never ever going to be done it was it, and also when we did it things happen that season and you just you know the semi-final at villa park against arsenal if you were writing a script you couldn't write Roy Keane gets sent off. United are down to 10. There's a penalty in the last minute. The goalkeeper saves it. Ryan Giggs is on the subs bench. He comes off and he scores one of the greatest goals yeah. in FA Cup. You know, all these things. And then part that game allowed us to get to the final and continue that search for the treble. All of that just makes it so much more incredible, unbelievable and just the the greatest achievement in that club's history in any in any club's history ever in this country that's the pinnacle and my club's done it and you can whoever you speak to Liverpool Chelsea you can just say the word treble and they've got no comeback not that I like bragging about the treble <laughs> but to, to see it done you know we were talking about earlier on you know how I felt as a kid growing up when I found out you know, Ryan Axon got the bullet and Fergie. Those things I don't really remember too much because it wasn't as in-your-face football. And if, if the treble would have been done when I was eight, I, I think now I'd be looking back and I'd be a bit gutted about it. I wasn't around to remember it. But I remember all of it. I've got MUTV and they play, you know, moments from that treble winning season quite often. And I'll find myself just losing an hour one afternoon by watching us take on Spurs at, at Old Trafford last day of the mm. season, remember. And then Cole, you know, and Beck scored a goal. Things like that. It's just... Um, to relive that, you know, even in fact, how bizarre is this? So my youngest and Teddy Sheringham's youngest are in the same class at school. Oh, wow. And, and on school pickup, I know, uh, thankfully I know Ted quite well now because of that. And on school pickup, I often find myself talking about 
moments from that season, yeah. just as a, a fan, just asking him, you know, what, what was it like in the dressing room after time we were playing Spurs? Or, you know, when, when you're coming off the bench in that Champions League final, what, what, remind me what Fergie said to you. And he looks at me like, not that I'm mad because he gets it, but um, it, I just want to know so much about that season. It's, it's, it's just, it's up there with some of the greatest moments in football, not in this country, but in football. And I, I hope it's never repeated, certainly by City. That, that, oh my God, that would make me ill. What did Fergie say to them at half-time in the Champions League? That's <laughs> one thing I've not asked him, actually. I'm just All right. questions now that I've asked him. But we, but, we, but we, you know, we talk about it quite often. Yeah, yeah. I keep saying to him, I keep saying to him, all your stuff, like your medals and shirts, what you got them out of your house, you know, they're in like, and he talks about it and I'm waiting for him to go, come over. <laughs> Ted, Ted, if you're listening, come, that's what I want. Come on, why don't you come over? Come Just ask, surely, the, surely the kids have had a birthday party as you can get well, them together and use that my, as an excuse to go around to Teddy my, showing him his house. My, my kid's a girl and his kid's a boy and I keep saying to my little one, why don't you go around to his house? And like, <laughs> no, 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 go around there. <laughs> Brilliant. But, um, but not yet. Yeah, no, that's good. That has to happen. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the, the European Cup final then. So, yeah, 2-1 win over Bayern Munich at the, at the new camp. Presume you weren't there. Where did, where did you watch it? I watched that in my pub, uh, my local pub with all my mm. mate uh, called the Unicorn in Clayhall. We we watch a lot of football there. Um, and do you know what was nice about that night is that everyone in that pub wanted United to win it. I remember, I remember when Solskjaer's goal went in. There, there was this. They had a room. They put a big projector up, and it's where the pool tables were. And they cover the pool tables with big sheets of wood, so everyone could put their pints on it. Mm. And when Solskjaer's goal went in, everyone's pint went up in the air. It was just, it was just incredible. Looking back now, it's quite bizarre that everyone was supporting United because if it was another English team in a Champions League final on the cusp of winning the treble, I certainly wouldn't want them to win. But um, it was just, I mean, it was just just the most incredible game of football. When you think that we went behind really early on, when you think that they, we were without two of our greatest ever players in Skulls and Key. Yeah. It was like a makeshift midfield. I think Bex was playing in the middle and Blumquist was out wide. It was mm. quite a bizarre side. And then they hit the bar and they hit the post. And you just started thinking, oh, do you know what? Maybe, maybe it might be our night. And then... When we had the first corner and Beck swung it in, and then and then Sheringham had that nod on. It was sorry, um, that was the set goal. Of it. When um, Giggsy miskicked it and Sheringham slotted it home, because I was thinking, okay, there's extra time. Not we're going to win it in in ninety. It was just it's just amazing. When when I watch that back now, I still get goosebumps. It's still it's still it's quite emotional. It's the chance of a lifetime. A treble chance. The reverse ball to Zickler. Yanker is breaking down the centre. Johnson's got some catching up to do. Bumps past him, Yanker on the edge of the box. It's Basler. Oh, deflected it in. First blood to Bayern Munich. Mario Basler with a little over five minutes gone. Gary Neville with a long throw. Stam arriving unseen. Knocked it down. Might come for Andy Cole. Oh, he was knocked against Cole. And just wide. He didn't know a great deal about the final attempt, Lota Mateus, Karsten Janka, over-elaborated a little bit, but Zickler's not trying to hit it. Five minutes of the first half remaining, Manchester United needs something. David Beckham has pulled it a little bit, and Giggs in support. Cole, it's Giggs! It's six minutes of the second half play. 
Beckham in towards Johnson. Going to be holding him, I have to say. Didn't quite catch up with him. Effenberg with another cross. It's towards Kufor this time. And he just couldn't quite wrap his head around the ball. This is the man who's made them chase, Basler. And again, he's looking to do Michael, who stumbles. Well, he saw what he wanted to do. And he very nearly pulled it off. Look. It's Cole! didn't begin to get hold of it really oh he had time and he had space York he'd lost York he'd lost the marker Joel looking for Yanka looking to let the ball run support Stefan Effenberg oh terrific stop by Schmeichel well oh. if there are question marks against Peter Schmeichel for the Bayern Munich goal then some of us it's still Basel on the ball Shaw taking over oh delicious chip hits the post bounces straight back into the hands of Peter Schmeichel oh a timely break for Manchester United it's a butt now you're Nicky Butt has gone on it's butt for Manchester United pulled back towards Cole just wouldn't quite come for him and Sheringham couldn't reach it either they have a corner they need more Harry Neville is first to the ball Teddy Sheringham onside Neville's cross oh the header from Solskjaer his first touch and scrambles across to his post and saves Oh, what a story that would have been. Yanka's there, Barbell's there, Shaw's there with the header. Yanka with the overhead, hits the crossbar. Twice the woodwork to save Manchester United. In towards Sheringham. It might run here for Solskjaer. Little back heel. Sheringham! Just dropping behind him. Beckham. It's Neville. It's York! He missed Kew completely. Oh. Tell you what, if they can equalise and I'm not betting against them. I think they'll win this, they're going to win it. Solskjaer! Well, they're now creating chances for fun. In towards Schmeichel, it's come for Dwight York. Cleared, Geeks with a shot, Sheringham! I mean, just everything about that game was just phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah. Just, just the United team, the kit they wore, the 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 manner in which we did it, the the, the you know the image of of the Bayern Munich players on the pitch just crying. Sam you kick for banging the ground, obviously that famous yeah, famous yeah. image. Yeah. Just, there's there's a story as well. I, I hope it's not true, but I'm I'm told it is that George Best was at the game and left five minutes beforehand to go. To go, and, I don't know where yeah. he was going. I think I've heard that as well. Yeah, I do think that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, you know, why are you leaving a chat? Anyone leaving any game early? It's just um, the, the manner in which we did it, and it was, you know, it was Fergie time. You know, it did always leave it late. Mm. It always, it was never ever finished until until that whistle was blown. I mean, what would what must that have been like for the Bayern Munich players? I mean, it's you've got one and a half, one and a half. You've got eight fingers on that trophy, and then yeah. Beck swings it in. 
And he said they'd had that chance, and there was even Mateus or Sherl. I can't remember. One of them hit the post, didn't they? Just before the first United goal, so that would have made it two 0 to Bayern, and that would have sealed yeah. it. And I remember watching. Yeah, I think it was that. Yeah, I remember watching that and when when they did that, having suffered that season, seeing United get late goals. I remember sitting on the sofa. I think I was sitting next to my mum slightly randomly, but I was, I was eighteen at the time, going, "United are going to win this now." When they hit the bar, and and you did, and. Um, I felt very much like Sammy Kufour that night. I've got to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but when United, I mean, when, when United do that, when they compete treble, and it is, let, I mean, it doesn't matter who you support, you just have to take your hat off and go, that is one of the greatest, if not the greatest achievement in English football history. I mean, what is the feed? Is it, is it pure unadulterated joy or is there a huge level a sort of shock there as well? I mean, Fergie summed it up by saying, you know, football, bloody hell. Is that, bloody hell, yeah. You're kind of just scratching, you know, scratching your face, almost going, what have I just seen? Well, do, you, do you know what, do you know what is bizarre? It's probably at the time I didn't realise just how incredible it was, you know, as in at that moment. But also going back to what you were saying about were you getting bored with United winning? And I said, not really. I just expected it. That team was so great. And you could see it building and building and building. I wouldn't say I expected to win the treble because that would just be foolish to say. But United was so good by that time. I just couldn't see anyone stopping us. Mm. You know, like when we got to the when we got to the, the FA Cup final against Newcastle, it was like, what's well, a no brainer? Of course we're going to beat them. Oh yeah, you always you know? that. that was inevitable. Yeah, you, and and then so so then it got to then it got to the Champions League final, and of course Bayern Munich were a juggernaut. They still are, we know that. But I just expected United to win it, um, and that treble theme was building all the time. There's um, a cutaway at Villa Park in the semi final when someone's holding up the three trophies made of tinfoil, and it was just so much expectation from that United side that it was a massive. I wouldn't say shock, but. You know, in your wildest dreams, you don't expect to win the treble. But that jug- juggernaut was just building and building and building. So you just thought, well, we're going to be champions of Europe soon. That's going to happen. Mm. We keep winning the league. And the FA Cup, I think the FA Cup, I know this sounds weird. This is going to sound stupid. I'm not going to say the FA Cup's the hardest of the three to win. But if Man City win the league, that won't be a shock. If they win the Champions League, that won't be a shock. But you wouldn't be surprised if they got knocked out of the FA Cup. Does that make sense? It sort of does, yeah. It feels, yeah, there's just that. It feels like it's a little bit more random. I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'd be yeah, shocked but... if they won the European Cup just because Pep just has got this kind of inbuilt, I don't know what it is, this kind of bug in the system where he just has to fuck it up through his tactics. Yeah. And that's yeah, what I'm totally. really hoping they don't win, but I'm scared. I'm very worried they, they will get it right. Oh, actually, I'd Certainly. like them. I, sorry, I wouldn't like them to win the European Cup. Of course <laughs> I wouldn't. But if... Yeah, in fact, what I'm going to say makes no sense. But, <laughs> but but if they lost out on the treble because of the FA Cup, I would find that incredibly funny. That would be hilarious. That would yeah, be actually okay. really funny. I think I've worded, I've worded that right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah, I know yeah, what you mean. Yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It would be very funny, yeah. That that sort of itch you can't quite scratch. You've got the big two and yeah. then fuck it, it's a little one that you didn't miss that one. I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, you touched yeah. on it there and I'm sort of intrigued to get your take on this because in my mind, the 98-99 the Manchester United team, the treble winning team, is the greatest United side of all time. But I've heard Gary Neville say that he thinks the one of 0708, the, the the double winning team, Chelsea. if you like. Yeah, that that's he thinks for pure talent United's best or team or best squad. That's the one of sort of Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo, Vidic, Ferdinand, yeah. Hargreaves, Carrick. Personally, uh, I also think the 93-94 team is kind of un- not underrated, but I think it competes quite strongly. I just think it was so exciting. That's the one of sort of Kanchelskis, Ince, King, Giggs, Hughes, Cantona, yeah. Alistair Bruce. Um, I mean, they feel like the big three, the sort of 93-94, 98-99, 07-08. I mean, 
they all obviously all achieved great things. Have you got a favourite? Is there one that you particularly enjoyed watching? I don't. I don't think you can say that '99 isn't the best because they won the treble. Yeah. You know the 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 08 team that beat Chelsea in the Champions League final was unbelievable. You've got Ronaldo and Rooney at their pomp. Tevez yeah. was incredible. You've got Michael Carrick, who was phenomenal. The the, the two centre halves are possibly the best two centre halves United have ever had. You know, Van der Sar was an amazing goalkeeper, probably the second best United have had behind Peter Schmeichel. Unbelievable team. But I think the team in '99, where we had that midfield of of Keane, Scholes, Giggs and Beckham, I think it's possibly the best four we've ever had. It might be the, I'm not to say the best four in Europe, but it's, you know, wow, what a four that is. We had the rotation of four incredible strikers that would probably never be done again to keep, you know, York and Cole and Solskjaer and Sheringham happy throughout the whole season. And two of them were always bit part players. You know, wow, well, that's not talked about enough. Mm. And the, the defence weren't bad. You know, the defence okay. was pretty, pretty good. So, um, I think because they won the treble, you'd have to say that's the best team, wouldn't you? I mean, it's a great conversation to have and a horrible, mm. horrible one to come up with the answer. And if if Neville's, you know, he's a lot closer to both teams than I am. But I think if you win the treble, you've got to be the best, haven't you? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, I think along with the Arsenal team of, of 97, 98, um, I've sort of got a weird soft spot for them. I don't know why. I just think they're the best club sides I've seen in my time watching football. I just think the 98, 99 United team is essentially perfect. I just think, I think the midfield is the best midfield of all time in, in English football history. Yeah. The front two, they're not just great, but they, they sort of seem like, two good lads as well they were mates they had that lovely sort of connection and the back four yeah. was really solid and the goalkeepers is an absolute icon I just yeah I think it's it, it's, it's close to sort of a perfect 11 as you can get I think the 98-99 yeah I agree I, 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 but the problem is you haven't got Ronaldo in yeah. that team and he is you know obviously on a different planet but uh, that that's what I, I know we haven't reve- revealed it yet but that was one of my biggest yeah. problems is not putting Bex in it yeah, well, that's intriguing. I was going to, yeah, that's going to be one of the questions I asked when we get onto your all-time level. Okay. It's a fascinating 11 and yeah, we'll get on to that. Before we do, um, I do want to ask you about Alex Ferguson and, and I'm intrigued by the esteem he's held by Manchester United fans. From the outside, it feels like he's obviously loved, but perhaps not to the level you'd expect him to be given what he's achieved. I don't, I don't get the sense that he's kind of seen as this adored messiah among United Goodbye. fans. By United fans, in the way that Clough is by Forest fans, that oh, I think he is. is by Celtic fans, Shankly is by Liverpool fans. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, how is he oh just absolutely held up as this esteemed adorable? Yeah. Because I think one of the things it feels like has affected his relationship with United fans is his is his backing for the Glazers as well, and that maybe tarnished a little bit. But you're suggesting that's not the case at all. No, I, I think you no. Know, I'd be stunned if any United fan didn't put him up there with the great names you've just mentioned for their clubs. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Oh my God! I mean, he's. He, he changed United, didn't he? I mean, mm. we know what how important Samat was, but Fergie just took that club to an absolute different level, absolute different level. Yeah, I, my goodness. Yeah, I'll be I'll be stunned if any United fan didn't feel like I do about him. He's an absolute legend, a god, the greatest. You know, I could talk here for days yeah. and not give him as many accolades as I'd need to be doing before you realise just how great a human he is. I, I've never heard that before. That. I've heard, I've heard, uh, I've heard a few United fans say the. I think specifically the the full throated hundred percent backing of the Glazers has just sort of chipped away at, chipped away at they view, the way they view him, how much they adore him, they they love him a little bit as well, and I just the whole sort of Messiah thing. I mean, it can be over the top by other clubs. I think you know, I've got to say, Liverpool fans, we perhaps do go over the top with the way we kind of uh, speak about our managers as well. 
but it just I don't know I mean I'm not as close as you are obviously but it just feels with Ferguson there's just that just that little sliver of detachment with him that you'd think that's a bit surprising given what he did at the club but I um, may be completely wrong obviously I, listen, I, I don't know I, I he's a messiah in my eyes and yeah. he's to everyone else that I know supports United so I've not heard that before yeah. maybe you, the people that have told you are actually Liverpool fans and they're just trying to put negative thoughts in your head now I think about it, they are all the guys that stand next to at the game. At do they have Scouse accents? They do, they do, yeah. Scouse and Cockney accents, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, have you ever met Alex, Sir Alex? Yeah, I pres- presume. Yeah, I am. Um, your radar. On a number of uh, a number of occasions, um, the first time I met him, uh, I was doing, uh, I was I was presenting something for Nike, and he was guest of honour. So I did a Q and A with him in mm. in front of a thousand people. And when I was, in, it was in Manchester. I was in a hotel, and when I came out of the hotel. Uh, the rest of my team were packing up and we were all getting the train back to London and he drove up outside, pulled up and he was like, thanks for today. And I was like, yeah, my pleasure. He said, where are you going? And I said, Manchester Piccadilly. And he said, do you want to lift to the station? Bloody hell. And wow. I said, I said, unbelievably, I went, no, I've got to wait for everyone else. And he went, okay, see ya. And drove off. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Why didn't I get in the car? Fuck, fuck everyone else. I'll meet you, meet you back in London. I can give a shit. You turned down the lift with Sir Alex Ferguson. I know. Oh I didn't my. even know. I was like, uh, I can't oh. get in the car with him. It'd be like getting a lift with God, wouldn't it? You can't. What am I going to? What am I going to talk to him about? In fact, you know what? It's coming back to me now. So the morning of that, the morning of that um, Q and A, uh, this this Q and A was in a hotel, and he was waiting in one of the rooms. And I went, I went to meet him beforehand. There's about three or four people just to say hello and be familiar with him. And Sky Sports News was on. And they were reporting about, I can't remember, I think it was Gary Neville, being, not being fit for the game at the weekend. And I hadn't spoken to him up to this moment. I literally walked in and I went, this is Andy. Hello, how are you? And he was like, yep, fine. And then I turned and I went, Neville's out the weekend then. And he looked at me like I was mad and he went, no. And I went, okay. And he was fit, he played. But oh, wow. It's not, it's not the most interesting story, but I, was, I just needed something to say to him. And I was like, oh my, what do I say? I'll do. Oh, I'll absolutely do. Yeah. Um, I'm devastated. I didn't. I didn't use him as my taxi to the. Yeah, I sort of get yeah. why he didn't. It's kind of. It's so massive. It's too massive in a way. But also, you got to get in a car, Sir Alex. First. I know. I have. I know. I'm you devastated. Gotta you got to do. Um, when he quit then in in 2013, um, a huge seismic day. I remember it very well. I, uh, I celebrated. Yeah. I cried a bit. It felt. It's like... all right though. We, we had David Moyes. What are you crying about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you. I mean, what were your what were your emotions that day? Because like, I can imagine it's a bit mixed. You're obviously you must be extremely sad that this. Hugely iconic, yeah. successful managers going, and also then thinking, "Oh, right, Moyes is next." Yeah, I, I think I shed a tear. I was very emotional. I was very because it's not just the end of Fergie, but it's the end of a chunk of your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I grew yeah. up with him. You know, uh, I grew yeah. up with him for over twenty years, a quarter of a century. He's, you know, I didn't know him. He wasn't a father figure to me, but you know, he was the reason why I was happy most Saturdays. And um, I was devastated when he left because you saw you, there was a part of me that thought that's okay. He set everything up. We've you know we've got good enough players. We'll carry on being a juggernaut we are. But of course you know that it's never going to happen like that. And then then you look at David Moyes and you think, well, Fergie was Scottish and David Moyes is Scottish, so why won't it work? <laughs> Makes perfect sense. They're exactly the same yeah. person, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think a United fan actually <laughs> made that connection, not just me. Um, uh, oh, he'd be in his ear. He'd be in his ear. He'll we'll tell him how to pick that team. Yeah, mark uh, my words. And then all of a sudden, you see, you go, "We're signing Fellaini." What? 
And then you think, oh my God, the wheels are falling off. Uh, but yeah, no, of course, you know, one of devastation, you know, when, yeah. when your dad walks out and you know, your granddad, whatever he would have been. But um, it's never, ever going to be the same, is it? When you've got a manager like that. No, absolutely. It doesn't matter who comes next. It's just, it's yeah, you're going to see that drop no. off. But you you, you have been quite openly critical of, of how it's gone for United since Fergie left on, on TalkSport a lot. I was um, watching back a clip that's doing the rounds. Um, oh, what one was that? Was you speaking on, on the sports bar with Jason Cundy after United lost to Man City 3-1 in the League Cup last year? It was, yeah. it was January 2020. You were speaking about being upset where my club is, how they're a million miles away to getting close to where they were. They're in a world of trouble. And you, you've spoken quite openly. I, I, my sense from you is you feel the standards have dropped way too far since Fergie left. They're always going to drop, but they've possibly yeah. dropped too far. The, the problem is as well, when I do that show, I'm come, I'm literally going on air five yeah. minutes after the final yeah, whistle, and yeah. it's so raw, it's so, it's unbelievable. You know, like when you watch a game of football and it ends, and then you talk to your mates about it, and then the next day you think, actually, maybe I was being a bit. Mm-hmm. I've got to do that, and I've got to broadcast for three hours, and, and it all lives on the internet as well. Which is it all lives on helpful. The yeah. yeah, there was there was one rant I had where we were going in for Bruno Fernandez. I, I can't remember the difference, but the difference between the the two clubs was about. Eight million pound, like they they wanted, I don't know, forty five, and we were only going to spend thirty seven or something like. That. And I did a big rant saying, if they want an extra eight million, give them ten, ten to keep the change. He's that good a player. Because I used to do a show on Sundays called the Change Trip Express. Yeah. And Andy Brassel is the yeah, yeah. football expert, and no, he knows it, yeah. so much about. It. And I would constantly go, "How good is this Bruno? Seriously?" And he'd go, "Like, mark my word, you've mm. got to get him." And it was getting to the end of the transfer window and I was just so frustrated, and I just went on this massive rant. Just, just whoever's making this decision, just go and get him. <laughs> And it went viral, and and because uh, I worked for Man United, it was quite, it was quite, it's quite difficult because where I want to be true and where I want to be a United fan, you know, I can't slag off. You can't slag off your employees. You just yeah. can't do it. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit there and just go, okay, that's fine. But thankfully, I don't know if it's because of my rant. I'd like to think it is that we paid the difference and we got him, and you know, the rest is history. But it's it's very difficult going on air straight after your team's got beat, especially against someone like Man City, you know, it's horrible. You've played a huge part in Manchester United's uh, success in tonight. You were the reason they signed Cantona and you're the reason they signed Bruno Fernandes. There should be a statue yeah. of you outside Old Trafford. It should be. It should. Oh. Now you say it like that, I'm amazed yeah. there isn't. Maybe I, I can maybe I can like get some paper mache and just put, bolt yeah. me onto like George Best and yeah. Lauren Charlton. And it'd be the most gorgeous statue outside Old Trafford as well, of course. Oh, my goodness. Is it, are you saying all this because I don't get a fee? Is that why you're doing it? Yeah, very much so, yeah. Pay me with kindness. Okay. <laughs> didn't ask for a fee, Andy. I would have offered you one. It wouldn't have been a lot because I'm making fuck all money out of this podcast. But I'd give you 20 quid if you wanted it. Do you know what? I can see the curtains behind you. I know you're making <laughs> no money from this podcast. It's a, this used to be my daughter's room, so it's actually a child bedroom, technically, but we cleared her out of it, gave her the bigger room, so I'm now sitting here on my own. With a Do you know what, if, if, I, just, if I just tuned in now, it looked like you've been kidnapped. <laughs> it is. It's a really sparse, very different to yours. Yours has all sorts going in yours. It looks like like, like, like the storeroom of a, of a toy shop or something. It's, yeah, it is. I'm a big I'm a big collector of, of toys, mainly Star Wars stuff. That are you yeah. familiar with Star Wars? I am. Yeah, not a big fan. I've got to be honest. But well, that that stuff. there is a, a massive life size hand wow. going carbonite. Yeah, I won't yeah. bore you with it. But yeah, I'm a big big collector of. It's a very we are yeah. yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put any sort of um, visual clips out of this chat, but it's kind of hilarious that Andy's sat in a really busy room and I'm sat as you say in an empty sparse room and there's a terrorist to my right with a gun to my head. It's uh, <laughs> telling me to talk about Manchester United. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> very, very contrasting back jobs. Um, Andy, you've been absolutely amazing. I've had such a great time speaking to you. Before I let you go, the usual couple of things I end this podcast with. So the first time, first of all, sorry, I should say, let's get on to that all-time 11. We've we've teased it uh, a few times during our chat. So 442, uh, I just stress again, so this is Andy Goldstein's all-time Manchester United 11 based on players he's seen play for the club. So there's no Duncan Edwards, George Best, etc. So 442 formation, Peter Schmeichel in goal, back four, Gary Neville, Rio Fernand, Nemanja Vidic and Dennis Irwin. Midfield, Cristiano Ronaldo, Brian Robson, Paul Scholes and Ryan Giggs. And up front, Ruud van Nistelrooy and Wayne Rooney. So yeah, a question I was going to ask you, you touched on it earlier. How tempted were you just to go with that treble midfield? Or does Ronaldo just simply have to get into that team? Ronaldo's got to get in and it was it was going to be, do I play him up front alongside Rooney? But then he didn't play up front for United, but he has since. Mm. And it was like, right, OK. But then if he, he plays up front against Rooney, then I leave Van Nistelrooy out. And he was just an incredible player. But I want to get Bex in. And I, so I stayed up throughout the night, just smashing my head against the brick wall, <laughs> trying to get the answer to it. I had to open this I adore Beckham. He's phenomenal. And I was desperate to put him in. But I have to put Ronaldo in. I don't even know now. I've already changed it. I think I mean, you're right. Is... I think you're right. I mean, I, I said to you, I think that mid, that treble midfield is is the best I've seen. But you've got to put Cristiano Ronaldo in. And in fact, uh, actually, you haven't even got the treble midfield anymore because obviously you've swapped uh, Keane for Robson. Yeah, Keane for Robson. I think yeah. I think Giggs, Skulls, Robson, and Ronaldo in their pomp is unbelievable, isn't it? It's pretty much yeah. perfect. Pretty special. And if they're supplying the bullets to Wazer and Rude up top then it's pretty, it's pretty faultless, that team. So, yeah, no complaints. I'm just glad I put um, Captain Marvel in there. So, with the yeah. big seven shirts, happy days, yeah. He's in, yeah. I mean, just talk about those front two. Their numbers are absolutely frightening. So, Van Nistelrooy got 150 goals in 219 games for United. Rooney got 253 in 559 games. He's obviously United's all-time record goal scorer and just an absolute beast of a player. But um, I am curious um, how close was Cantona to getting to front two. Also, the likes of Mark Hughes, Dwight York, Robin Van Persie. Any of them get anywhere close? Uh, Cantona was the only one I struggled with. Yeah. Uh, but when you've got numbers like that, look, Rooney, Rooney has to go in there because yeah. he's not just United's top goal scorer, but he's England's top goal, goal scorer. The numbers you said talk for themselves. But also, Ruud van Nistelrooy played up top. Wayne Rooney played out wide. He sometimes played as a 10. He sometimes played in midfield. I think if I look back, and f- I'll find he played in goal for half a season. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was yeah. never United's out-and-out striker throughout his entire time in that club. And to get the numbers he got, bearing in mind he was moved, he, he's just frightening so he has to go in there Rude Van Nistelrooy if you're talking about forwards if you're talking about players that are there to score goals was a better goal scorer than Eric Cantona so that was quite an easy decision but you know I wanted to put Cantona in because he's Eric Cantona but I couldn't leave people out so it, it was Cantona and Rude Van Nistelrooy players like Sparky Dwight York and, and Cole they're sort of they, they came second yeah. if you know what I mean no, it was I was there as much as, as great as they were, and as much as I want them in the team, they were never going to be in it because of how great the players in front of them are. Andy, you've been absolutely brilliant. Uh, going to let you go, let, let you get back to your Star Wars memorabilia. Before I do, going to ask you final question. It's the usual final question I ask on this podcast. If you could go back in time and alter, stroke, change one moment from your time supporting Manchester United up to now, what would you choose? And it can be anything. It could be a game. It could be a transfer, uh, a very specific incident. It could be getting in that car with Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, what would you choose? Okay. Wow, what a great question that is. If I could change anything, uh, it would be, it would be, um, I'd like to go to Sellers Park 
when when Cantona did that country kick, and just before that idiot got up and ran down about forty steps, I'd stick my foot out and let him go flying. So Cantona would have stayed on the pitch, and then we would have won the league that year as well. That's a fantastic answer. Um, I, I don't want to insult everyone else who's been on this podcast, but I think that might be the best answer to that question we've had. That is a brilliant oh. answer. And of course, his name Matthew Simmons was his name, wasn't he? The yeah. Do you know what? Friend. Do you know what's mad is again going back to um, the stationers we were talking about that when I was David Brent. <laughs> he this is true. He was a Crystal Palace fan, and he was a season ticket holder. And he asked me if I wanted to go with him that night, and I declined. Oh wow. So I could have actually stuck my foot you out. could have done it. You could have been there to stop Matthew Simmons, stopping Man United winning the 1995 Premier League title. Yeah. God, yeah. the role you've played oh, in the flying. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, got, I literally, I signed Cantona, signed <laughs> Bruno, and I, and I kept Derek in the side and we won the league. My goodness, I literally could have changed that club. Unbelievable. You're the real hero. Forget Ferguson. It's all about Andy Goldstein. Um, <laughs> Andy Goldstein's genuinely been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And listen, I know people are listening now and it's flown by, but this is like a nine-hour recording. <laughs> so I hope you get a good edit of it. God takes so much shit out, honestly. All that really offensive, homophobic, racist stuff that you said earlier, Andy, is absolutely awful. Oh, no, leave that in. <laughs> leave that in. If anything stays, leave that in. Right? I'll leave all the abuse in, get you sacked off and talk sport and MUTV as yeah. well. Andy, honestly, it's been a joy. Thanks, pal. My pleasure, man.